Mark chapter 12, verses 12 through 17, out of reverence for God's word. If you're physically able, I'd ask that you stand. Verses 12 through 17. Then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to what they are, who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought him the coin, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed. Let's pray. O oh Lord, everything belongs to you. And thank you for sharing with us so bountifully. Help us, Lord, to be generous with our monies. Help us, Lord, to acknowledge in our gifts the deep relationships that they are connected to. Help us to worship you and to love others. To those ends, we pray your blessing. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Here's the key thing I want you to get out of today's message. Our giving should be grounded in relationship. The money we give to church, to God, should be grounded, anchored, deeply connected, interconnected, intertwined with relationship. Now, I appreciate your kind words to me about the sermon last week and giving. Today, I'm concluding this little two-week series on giving. I'm not really addressing a problem in the church as much as I'm trying to preach the truth of God's word and to speak the truth. Thank the Lord, Fayetteville Christian Church has been faithful for so many years and that we come together and worship in a facility that is debt-free and savings accounts and faithful people and we're making budget. So I'm not trying to, in a, in a back way, try to handle a problem or get up an offering or tell you that we need to give more. I'm trying to preach the truth of God's word. And I'm so thankful to not have to be in a position where we're twisting arms or manipulating people or launching some kind of campaign to get money or collecting more money from the community so that we could pay our bills. No, no, we're not in that situation. But giving is very, very important. It was important in Jesus' day, and it's important today. Now, if I, re I realize if you are visiting today or you started visiting last week, you can rightfully say that all the preacher does is talk about giving money. I know that's the case. And some churches know how difficult 
this conversation is to the extent that seeker-sensitive churches no longer even do an offering. They think by doing an offering, it's going to turn people off and they won't attend church anymore. They try to underemphasize offering to the extent that you don't even know that it's there. Maybe they'll have buckets in the back, or maybe they'll uh, address the members in another way. But in the worship service proper, no offering happens. And it comes from the paradigm of a secret seeker-sensitive service, where what you're trying to do is you're trying to bring in visitors to the church and get them saved. And you don't want to talk about offering if you're trying to talk to people about getting saved. But we operate on a different paradigm. The, the paradigm that we operate on here at Faithful Christian Church is that when we come together, we come together to worship God. Now, we want non-Christians to come. We do. And we, and we want to evangelize them, and we want them to be saved. But we think that evangelism best happens when a Christian shares Jesus with another person. And so we take a lot of the emphasize, emphasis off of the worship service being an evangelistic tool. Our worship service is about worshiping God. And if you're not a Christian at all, you might come into a worship service and you don't get it. You don't understand, what is this whole communion thing? Or what are these songs that I'm singing? Because it's kind of internal mail. It's what Christians do to God. And maybe a non-Christian doesn't understand everything that's done. We still want to do things with excellence. But our church worship service is more designed for Christians towards God than it is for seekers. So if you're visiting, I apologize that your one experience is about offering. But on the other hand, there are some Christians who are sinfully connected to the church's money. Let me say that again. There are Christians who are sinfully connected to the church's money. There are some who have a selfish, selfish interest when it comes to the church's money. They've got a pet project that they want the church to finance. The church I served back in Indiana, one of the greatest sweet old ladies I know was on the missions ministry, even though I think she was in her 80s. She was on the missions ministry to make sure that the missions ministry gave her son money as a missionary. She didn't dare step away from the missions ministry because she had a pet project. And some people have a pet project with the church's money. They say, listen, I'm not going to preach unless you pay me. I'm not going to be a youth minister unless you pay me. I'm not going to do this unless you pay me. And they want to make sure that they stay connected to the church so they get paid. It's a good indication of somebody's heart when they do it for free. But some people view the church as a paycheck. Some people view the church's money as pride. Look at all this money. Look what we're doing for God with all this money. Church I served in Ohio, when I was interviewing, one of the church elders named Larry came to me and he said, Andrew, I want to show you how much we have in our savings account. $150,000. That's for a rainy day. That's for seed money so that God could really do something. That $150,000 is really going to grow the church. Now, 20 years later, 
that seed money is going to pay the utility bills because it was never really used as seed money. It was used as a source of pride. Look at all this money we've got. But in my personal experience, church money can bring out the worst in people. They look at the financial statement and they say, that's, some of that's my money. That's my money. So when it comes to spending money, they're like, I'm not spending my money on that. I'm not spending that money. Because when they give, they don't give to God. They give with strings connected. So we see abuse. People who spend the church's money inappropriately. How much can I get away with? Somebody says, listen, if you don't spend everything in your budget, you're going to lose it. you got to show that you need all that money. So spend it or lose it. Yeah, but you're spending God's money. Doesn't matter. When budget time comes around, you got to show that you need it all. Doesn't matter. It brings about abuse, and it really brings about negligence. Treating the things of God with little care. It's the idea of how little can we get away with. Duct tape? Oh, that's fine. Staples? Nails? Just hide it. Don't even look at it. It doesn't matter. We can, we can cut corners when it comes to the church. Negligence. Now, there's some things you can be negligent on, I think. But there's some things that you have to put money behind in order to be faithful to God. And we probably would disagree on what those things are. I'm a big access guy. I want people who are disabled in some way to have access to the church so that they can worship. So if you're having trouble hearing, then I want to make sure that our sound system is squared away so you can hear, or we can get you some sort of uh, hearing aid to help you. If you're having trouble seeing, I want to make sure the screen is bright enough or the, the lyrics are, are bright enough so that you can see. Um, I was instrumental in getting ready the the, the pews in the middle. Now, we did that so that we could have communion stations, but I also was concerned. Somebody comes in with a walker or a wheelchair. The way our sanctuary was, you could only be right in the middle, and people would have to walk around you. And I thought, you know what? People can flare out to those outside if they've got a walker, if they've got a wheelchair, and they could sit out there. I'm all about access. Access is important to me. We stream our worship services. So if you're home and you, you can't make it to the church, you're shut in or you're sick or, or you're on the road, you can worship by streaming the worship service. Access is big for me. Several years ago, I pointed out that the hickory entrance over there, I don't know if you've ever been to that entrance, but the step on the hickory entrance, it's painted yellow, thank the Lord. But that step is like twice the size of a step to get up on. But there is a ramp, a little wheelchair ramp, but it's about yay wide. Now that really bothers me. It bothers me because years ago, I realize this now in hindsight, my dad with Lou Gehrig's was wheelchair bound. And some chiropractor had my dad convinced that if he went to the chiropractor so often that that chiropractor would really help my dad with his Lou Gehrig's. 
So we would take him to the chiropractor. My dad was a big man. I mean, you know, a full-grown man, say 185 pounds. I'd get out that foldable wheelchair, and he'd sit in there. I pulled him up to that chiropractor, and their little wheelchair ramp was about yay wide. And it was that steep. You know how hard it is to wheel a 185-pound guy up a little ramp? You can't even see over his head to get it in there. And poof, my dad falls over. I missed it. Crashes on the concrete. That is, this ramp is pathetic. That hurt my dad. Got him up. My dad's all embarrassed. No, no, it's my fault. Yes, obviously, it's not his my, if it's my, my fault. But it's the chiropractor's fault for having a pathetic ramp. So I went into the chiropractor. I said, that is the most, and I'm mad, I'm mad because my dad's dying from Lou Gehrig's. So everything, I'm mad about everything. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in that situation? So I went into that chiropractor's office and I said, listen, that is a pathetic wheelchair ramp. My dad just fell down. He's okay, but I'm really upset about that. And the little secretary lady said, hey, listen, that's your problem. We have nothing to do with that ramp. But I already had a chip on my shoulder about the chiropractor to begin with. But when I saw that ramp on the hickory side, about yay wide, because that's how I feel from my past. And I pointed it up. I pointed it out. You know how much money that's going to cost, preacher, to fix that ramp and how steep it is? And I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Wheelchair accessibility, we want everybody to come to the church. If they're in a wheelchair, they can go to that entrance. Well, that just sits wrong with me because I'm a big accessibility guy. That's a big thing for me. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to negotiate that because we have a wonderful drop-off area. That entrance is great. Praise the Lord that they did that. And you can use that entrance. But if you Google our church... We have a Hickory address. So people come in on Hickory Road thinking that's the entrance. Maybe we need to change the Google. But what I learned when I brought up the wheelchair ramp on that side is some people just don't care. If it doesn't affect them, it doesn't matter. Church money can bring out the worst in people. It really does. So I think we need to talk about giving from the standpoint of giving in the church. Not everything we give money towards is important. And some things are so expensive, we simply can't do it. I saw this this morning. You see that hanging little ceiling thing there? Can anybody see that thing? It's just waiting to fall. Any might fall during my sermon. It's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting anything. It's gonna, it would cost tens and tens of thousands to redo the ceiling. Daryl Newby said, just don't look at the ceiling. Now you're all looking at the ceiling, I know. 
Daryl said, if it does, don't look at it. And you won't. And that's exactly, I've been trying to not look at the ceiling. But you know what? That's not a big deal. It's frustrating, but it's not a big deal. So we have to make a decision as to where money gets spent and how it gets spent. What I want to tell you, again, the key is our giving should be grounded in relationships, not in things, in relationships. Giving for Christians is different than many people think. People think that to be a Christian means you give a tithe, which is 10%. Some people say once a year, 10%. One say two or three times a year, 10%. Some people say, is that 10% before taxes? Is that 10% after taxes? I'm not going to answer that because in the New Testament, there is no tithe. In the New Testament, giving is connected to relationships. So you know the right amount based on your relationship with God and with other people. It's not a percentage. It's a relationship. Because, number one, everything belongs to God to begin with. When we start talking about percentages, people start thinking, yeah, well, 90% is mine and 10% is God, but if I'm a super Christian, 88% belongs to God, or 88% belongs to me, and 12% belongs to God. See how I'm, I'm even better. No, it all belongs to God. And that's why I wanted to read the, the um, text today. They tried to trick him. They're trying to get him to say, it's okay to give money to Caesar, and then you're going to have Jews that turn against them because of political or it's not okay to give to Caesar, then they could turn Jesus into the Roman authorities and say, he's telling us not to give taxes. It's a trick question. But Jesus answers expertly. Not only does he say give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but he introduces a brand new idea in the New Testament, which is give, it, give to God what is God's. Guess what? Everything is God's. In fact, even Caesar is God. Is God's. God owns everything. Listen to this, um, this extract from a New Testament commentary I use. The people ask about whether a person who is loyal to God could pay taxes to an evil government. You could maybe even apply that to today, depending on where you sit which was a disputed issue among religious people. Jesus' response affirms that believers have an obligation to participate in the political process in which they are a part. They are not to withdraw from the world and leave the government to other people while keeping themselves pure. Even when the government is secular, atheistic, or even oriented to some other religion, Christians have a responsibility to participate in his response. But he introduces another element that they had not asked about. Everything belongs to God. So as we talk about giving to God, we're not talking about 10%, 11%, 12%. I know some people say, if you could just get everybody giving 10%, then we'll all be taken care of. Well, for some people, giving 10% would be a sin. Jesus asked everything from the rich young ruler. Barnabas sold his field and gave all of the proceeds to the early church. 
And for some people, 10% is too much. But maybe not necessarily too much. Kim Davis came to me after the sermon last week, and she said, Andrew, I was thinking about the message. And she said, you know, when John and I go out to eat, even when we get bad service from the restaurant, even when we get bad service, I leave a 10% tip. She said, how much more should we give God? Tears in her eyes. I thought, man, I'm guilty of that too. God owns everything. The more connected we are to God, the more we know what to give. The second lesson about giving in relationship is that God's greatest creation, God's greatest creation is humans who are created in his image. So we don't give to things. We give to people. When I look at the abuse of the church over its history, I see churches with priceless facilities, priceless garments. I see churches that were involved in politics. Early in the colonial days before the United States became a country, there was persecution between the Protestants and the Catholics. They had to, uh, they had to protect the Catholics who were being persecuted from the Puritans. Religious persecution among people who believe in the same God but worship differently. The church has spent money on crazy stuff. God's greatest creation is humans. There's a, I don't know if it's an oath that doctors and nurses take, but when it comes to saving a life, you spare no expense. Whatever it takes to save that life. Somebody's dying. You don't run their credit card before you'll help them. Somebody's drowning. You don't find out what's going on with your boat. You jump in the water and you save them. You can ask questions later. You save the person who's dying first. Which means sometimes people get out of the hospital with hospital bill of $100,000 because that's what it took to save their life. Um, Sonia and Curtis, where, where is it that, where is it that um, your mom is, Curtis? What country? Jamaica. Curtis's mom in Jamaica is like that situation. No beds in the public hospital. Have to go to the private hospital. If I'm right with what you said, Sonia, they won't even see his mom, who's in a life and death situation, until she can pay $100 a day. Is that right? American dollars. Before you're seen, life and death. I think that's crazy. God's greatest creation in all the world is humans. And so when we give money, we don't give money to things. We give money in relationship. In the New Testament, giving is grounded in relationship. This is not the commandments of the Old Testament. This is a new reality. And there's two relationships, and let me close with this. The first relationship that our giving is grounded in is our relationship with God. I talked about that last week. We worship God. 
as we worship God, we recognize that part of worship is giving gifts. God desires us to give. And so part of our worship service involves giving to God as an expression of worship. And so I am opposed to taking offering out of worship. Now, I know you might remember times in the church where there was a communion meditation and there was an offering meditation and offering trays were passed and we've gotten away from that, but we still have the offering tray right there with communion because that's part of the worship service. We could probably make a, a bigger deal of offering than we do in our worship service, but we're certainly not trying to hide it. When you go to the white bucket thing in the back, give if you'd like, if you like the show, give. That's not really an act of worship. That's just leaving a tip for the musicians. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of stewardship. We recognize that everything we have belongs to God, and so as wise stewards, we're giving back to him. And giving to God in relationship is an act of gratitude. As we get older, we begin to realize that God has been so good to us. We're not self-made. God's gracious to us. He's protected us in life and death situations. As we get older, we begin to recognize that we can't thank God enough. And so when we give, we give as an expression of gratitude because God has done so much for us. When you're young and you're immature, you begin. You think you're entitled to everything. You think it's all about you. You can't even look outside yourself. But as you get older, you recognize that when you love God, you show gratitude to God. And when you show gratitude to God, you give. That was last week. This week, I want to talk about our giving as a relationship with people and not things. Giving is done in relationship to people and not in things. If you have a family, you know exactly what I'm talking about. How much does it cost to have a son? What are you talking about? A hospital bill? Baby formula? Clothes? Sports? Trips to the doctor? How many people would have a kid if they knew the final cost of a son? People say, I can't afford it, right? I mean, some of us are cheaper than others. Jonathan, some of us are more expensive than others. What? I wouldn't say, you could be cheap. What is it? How much does it cost? You can't calculate the cost because it, it happens in relationship. You know what that is. You know that, what that is with your, your spouse. How much does it cost to have a wife? How much does it cost to have a husband? <laughs> Don't put a price on that. It's not enough. Giving is in connection with people, in relationship. And that's why the early church, when they gave money, you know, we don't have any church buildings in the early church. You know that? When the early church gave money, they gave it to people. Acts chapter 6, there was a dispute that rose because they were feeding widows who were being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread. Galatians 2.10, Paul was commissioned to go to the Gentile churches instead of the Jewish churches, and they said this, Galatians 2.10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing 
we were eager to do all along. In his missionary journey, not only was he going out and preaching the good news of Jesus, but they were remembering the poor. In fact, Paul, when he went to some of these Gentile churches, he gathered a collection to give to the poor Jewish churches. It went to people. Maybe the best example of giving comes from Acts chapter 2. The early church, it says, they gave to each as they had need. So giving is not connected to a facility or a program, but it's connected to people. And you're in the best position to give to people when you know them well. They gave to each as they had need. Now the context there is that the early church met every day in the temple courts praising God. If you meet with somebody, if Rex and I are meeting together every day and we're worshiping God, we're going to develop a relationship every day. And then I'm going to know, Rex is going to know, if there's a need that we can meet financially. This is far different than just writing a check to somebody and hoping it goes for the right thing. It's based on relationship. Because people will abuse gifts. Sometimes your giving helps. Sometimes your giving can hurt. I was fascinated that an early pilgrim leader, William Bradford, at Plymouth, when they first landed, they decided to take everybody's money and possessions and pool them into a common fund. And that first winter, they would all just share and distribute to each as they had need, according to the Bible. More than half of that pilgrim settlement died. And what they discovered is that the young, able men weren't doing their share. And so the next year, instead of having a common fund where everybody gets an equal share, they gave everybody a plot of land and corn. And then things began to prosper because people took responsibility for themselves. What I'm trying to tell you is the church needs to support people, but they need to support people in a healthy way. Because sometimes money is not the solution. Sometimes money is the problem. When somebody comes to me, preacher, uh, I really need help with my bills. I'd like to sit down and talk about what's going on. Was there an emergency? Something break down? Is this unexpected? What about your parents? What about your grandparents? What about your relatives? Are they not able to help you? Well, when the person tells me that they basically burned their bridges with all their family, you know what that sometimes tells me? They've gotten all the money they can from everybody else. Now they're coming to the church. Not every case, but sometimes the case. The best people to help are the ones who are in relationship with a person who needs help because they know where the money goes. The person that needs money, I'm making a general statement, the person that needs money is driving around a new car and has a new cell phone and has a cable and internet package probably doesn't need money as much as the person who is shut in and need somebody to go and pick up their medications. I'm making a general statement. Who's to decide the case? Well, it happens in relationship. 
That's why I love our Faith Samaritans, which is on the property here at the church. When somebody in Fayette County goes there and they need assistance, they're interviewed, they're coached, they're helped along so that nobody, the people that want to abuse the system can't abuse the system and the people that need help are able to help. And I love the fact that we support Faith Samaritans with money and with volunteers because church money should be given first and foremost in relationship. God's greatest creation was in humans, not in buildings, not in programs, but in humans. So, what am I asking from you? Number one, I'm asking you to consider that everything that you own already belongs to God. That's an expression of faith. There's not your money, God's money, the church's money. It's all God's. Come to that understanding, and that's going to change your perspective. Number two, be generous with your money in terms of relationship. As you have a growing relationship with God, you're going to give more as an expression of that gratitude. As you have a relationship with other people, support them because you know what their needs are. Sometimes I think the church is guilty of just meeting together once a week and we never really have a relationship with people. We say hi on Sunday, but we don't know what goes on Monday through Saturday. I think we could do a better job of getting in people's lives and sharing. Let me leave you with this. Esther in the Bible was in a position where she could save her people, the Jewish people if she would. And her father figure, Mordecai, says, maybe you have come to this position for such a time as this. I've been reflecting on that this week. Maybe you and I are in the positions we're in, financially, physically, intellectually. For such a time as this, we could really help in a special way because God has put us in that perfect position. Help where? You know best. In the context of a relationship, you know how to help best. But giving is not a tithe. It's not a 10%. It's an expression of relationship. So let's love God, and let's love people, and let's express that in our giving. That's my challenge to you today. Let's pray.